Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Before I get started, I want to give a huge shout out to Alexis and Matt Iaconis at Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, they've stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. I can personally vouch for both the quality of wines you'll receive and the integrity of this small local business, which needs your support to survive right now. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. It's garbage day in our neighborhood. All around the neighborhood, there are colorful signs and children's drawings taped to the bins, thanking the waste management staff for the work they're doing while the rest of us shelter in place. Many houses have signs on their mailboxes, too, thanking our postal workers. Those who get CSA boxes are doing the same. Some have even put up their Christmas lights in an effort to provide some visual cheer, or in our case, we never got around to taking them down. On almost every street, the sidewalks are colorful with rainbows of chalk, jokes and riddles to solve, messages of solidarity and encouragement, and so many hopscotch squares. But my neighborhood wasn't always this way. We moved here in 2008, and two years later, when we rented out our house and moved to the Philippines for a year, we still didn't know anyone. We saw the same people walking their dogs and babies, but no one ever said hello. We weren't even sure about our immediate next-door neighbors' names, even though we'd done the obligatory wave and introduction when we first moved in. But when we returned from Manila in the summer of 2011, we came back to a different place. People were chatting on the sidewalk. One of them stopped to introduce herself when Nate was trimming a hedge in our front yard. That's how we learned about the neighborhood happy hour. One block over is the family who transformed our neighborhood. In the summer of 2010, while Nate and I were packing up our lives to move to Manila, Sarah and Mona and their two girls were visiting friends in Sacramento. They were inspired when they learned that their friends hosted a weekly happy hour in their neighborhood, where neighbors could gather, share food and drinks, and the kids could all play. It was a cool idea, but it seemed like a stretch for our neighborhood where no one knew each other. But Sarah and Mona were undeterred. They knew three of their neighbors, more than most of us at the time, and so they reached out to them and told them their idea. Every Friday from 5 to 7, they'd put up a card table in their front yard, put out a few snacks and drinks on it, maybe make a sign. Whenever they saw someone walking by, they'd invite them to join. They did this every Friday that summer, and it worked. Slowly but surely, people learned about the neighborhood happy hour. The word started to get out. A year later, when we came back from Manila, I was newly pregnant, and Sarah and Mona were still at it, and they were getting organized. At our first happy hour, there was a sign-up sheet to be a part of a new Google group for the neighborhood. By then, Sarah and Mona were ready to pass the torch. They were asking others to consider hosting, and some of them did. Those happy hours have continued for a decade. They feel magical like something from another era when it was more common for neighbors to know each other. Our kids love them and look forward to seeing all their neighborhood friends. We've hosted many of them ourselves over the years, and they're always a mix of seeing old friends and meeting some new ones. It's where I met Giselle, 
who reached out to me that first year with the idea of starting a neighborhood babysitting co-op where we'd watch each other's kids for points. Sarah and Mona were a part of that, too, in the beginning. We were all new parents, and many of us didn't have family in the area. For Nate and me, the co-op was a gift in a time out of our lives when money was tight and we desperately needed those date nights to give us a few hours of respite from the challenges of parenthood and tend to our marriage. But it also meant that we got to know not just our neighbors, but their kids. Today, that co-op has 12 families, and many of those families have become some of our closest friends. Giselle is one of them, and I've stopped counting the number of times that she and her family have helped me in a pinch, like the time my car died on the Bay Bridge in the pouring rain when she watched my kids until late into the night until I could get home. The Google group that Sarah and Mona started also got handed off to Giselle, and it's become the primary way that our neighborhood communicates. The listserv doesn't just function like next door, though it did start that way. Over the years, I've seen our neighborhood grow into a real community. Long before the shelter-in-place mandate, our neighborhood became a generous one. We've decorated our kids' room mostly with items that neighbors passed along for free because they didn't need them anymore. Our neighbor Trask often delivers his delicious sourdough bread to neighbors, sometimes in exchange for vegetables, lemons, persimmons, or whatever people are growing, but sometimes just as a gift. I've seen people reach out and receive professional and legal advice. One wise neighbor has provided regular guidance on how to talk about local crime without slipping into racial profiling. Of course, there have also been hard things about being in a community like this. Most of the houses in our neighborhood are starter homes. They're generally close together with small yards. We've had to navigate some tense moments when our kids were throwing temper tantrums or when we were using loud power tools to build my writing shed in our backyard. Being close with people means that you annoy each other sometimes. Every once in a while, people offend each other on the listserv. Sometimes there are real relational repairs to be made. But then that's how it is with any relationship. Closeness means that sometimes you make mistakes. You have to apologize and make it right. I've been especially grateful for our neighborhood this past week when we've gotten news that this way of life is probably going to continue for a long time. Our public schools are now officially closed until May. Every day, I hear from friends and family in the medical profession about the discouraging things they're seeing and about how important it is to take shelter in place seriously. But in the midst of all of that, my neighbors have offered glimpses of light. Even though we can't be together the way we have been in the past, Heather and Reka, who lived just down the block, hosted a social distancing happy hour last Friday. Neighbors brought their own chairs and sat on the sidewalk or, since no one's driving right now, in the street. We met Heather and Reka at one of those very first happy hours, and over the years they've become close friends. It lifted my spirits to see them, even at a distance, and Reka gave me some much-needed homeschooling advice. A few days ago, Simona, who's from Italy and has been a part of our babysitting co-op for years, sent the neighborhood a wonderful video of Paris, where at 8 p.m. every night, everyone opens their windows and claps for the medical providers of their city. I'll post that video in my show notes so you can see it too. And just last night, our friends down the street announced to the neighborhood the birth of their new daughter, reminding us that even now, in this time of darkness, there's new life.
It all started with Sarah and Mona being doggedly persistent about creating a community. I know that I'm lucky to live in this neighborhood and that there are many around the country and world who feel extremely isolated right now. Now more than ever, we need to get determined and creative about connecting. Maybe it's calling or leaving a video message for a friend or family member who lives alone. Maybe it's posting virtual or real thank you signs for the people collecting our trash, delivering our mail, scanning our groceries, staffing our hospitals. Maybe it's starting a weekly or even daily virtual happy hour over Zoom, bringing together family or friends who would be comforted just by seeing each other every day. There's no sugarcoating what's going on in our world right now. But sitting with that harsh reality of this pandemic doesn't have to leave us hopeless and alone. If you're feeling isolated or know someone who might be, reach out. We have a chance as a society to put relationships first. Let's mark this time not by our isolation, but our connection. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.